On the night of March 3rd, 2020, Tacoma police officer Timothy Rankin heard mysterious mic clicks coming over the radio in his patrol vehicle. Henry 317. Who's Devin? Rankin told investigators this made him worried that two of his fellow officers, Christopher Shane Burbank and Matthew Collins, were in danger. As we've reported, Rankin is a military veteran, and he said his experiences in combat were on his mind as he rushed to the scene. I was thinking the worst um, that Officer Burbank and Officer Collins most likely were either dead or shot. Um, I related their heavy breathing to listening to um, friends of mine that I lost overseas, um, their heavy breathing being the last few breaths before they died. We've told you about Rankin before, but it turns out we didn't know all the background. This is The Walk Home. I'm Will James. One of the questions we've had this entire time is, what sorts of experiences and training did police officers bring with them when they encountered Manny Ellis? It's a question we explored back in episode five. This update is to let you know about some new reporting by a member of our team. Seattle Times investigative reporter Patrick Malone asked for public records from the Washington State Police Academy for any communications with Tacoma police about Rankin's fitness to be an officer. Patrick ended up with a bunch of documents, and one of them describes an incident from Rankin's past we didn't know about before, an incident that adds new context to the events of the night Manny Ellis was killed and raises questions about police training and hiring practices. Hey, Patrick. Hi, Will. What was your reaction when you opened up the file and saw what was inside it? Oh, I was like, oh boy. Because it imparted some very clear red flags about Rankin to the Tacoma Police Department based on his behavior at the academy. This memo Patrick got was written by a trainer at the police academy back in 2018. It describes a training exercise set up like a video game. In this exercise, Rankin and his training partner are in a room with big video screens. On these screens are virtual characters controlled by an instructor. In one simulated scenario, the trainees are supposed to deal with a character verbally threatening people in a park. They're told this character is known to police, that he had a knife on him the week before. But so far, he's shown no weapon in this virtual park. This exercise, it's supposed to be about when and how to physically take control of a suspect. Rankin begins to talk with him, trying to get some information and trying to see if he can judge what sort of threat the situation is. Even at this very first step, Rankin was already struggling. The memo shows that he had a very hard time finding the right words for it. Uh, the next step, if he had been successful, would have been to recognize that verbal commands were not working and that he was going to have to put hands on this man. But he simply pulled out a gun and shot him. There were 30 recruits in that training, and Rankin was the lone one to shoot the virtual suspect. Rankin's instructor called the shooting completely unjustifiable. And so this was very shocking, obviously, to the instructor, and he found it noteworthy enough to share with the Tacoma Police Department before they could bring Rankin on board. The instructor describes Rankin in a state he calls mental condition black. What is your understanding of what that means? 
Well, it was a term that I had to become familiar with. Uh, it's basically a high stress reaction. It causes you to really have distorted reality. Auditory exclusion was one term that was used by the instructor to describe how Rankin did not hear the commands and guidance that was being provided to him by dispatchers, by his partner, by his instructor. He saw things that were not in reality there. Things like a bulge in the suspect's pocket. No such thing existed, the trainer said. He saw the suspect reach for that ostensible weapon. Uh, his instructor said that didn't exist in reality either. And these were the excuses that Rankin gave for shooting the simulated suspect. Afterward, the instructor tries to talk to Rankin about this, right? Right, and this is pretty important because, you know, in speaking with experts after the fact, they recognize recruits are going to fail tests from time to time. But a big question is how do they respond to uh, correction? How do they come to understand what they would do differently in real life? And after the fact, when Rankin had uh, shot the virtual suspect and performed poorly in the eyes of his instructors, the instructor tried to explain what he had done wrong. The instructor went on to say that was a lost cause because Rankin had slipped back into what he called mental condition black and had tuned out this criticism and really was not interested in learning what he had done wrong or what he should do differently if there was a real human in front of him. This is during a training exercise in the police academy. Where does Rankin's career go from here? Well, within two months of that exercise, Rankin was on duty with the Tacoma Police Department. They followed through with hiring him despite this memo. And a spokesperson for the police academy described the exercise where Rankin exhibited this bizarre behavior as more of a non-graded task than a test. So, you know, in the eyes of the academy, this was not the type of behavior that would pose a barrier to him going to work anywhere in the state of Washington. Uh, but the two experts that I spoke with, Pierce Murphy, who had been the head of police oversight in Boise, Idaho, and in Seattle for nearly 20 years combined, and Dr. John Violanti, a PhD research professor at the University at Buffalo who specializes in police well-being and has done some deeply researched academic studies, both said that the Academy and the Tacoma Police Department viewed Rankin's poor performance on this test far too narrowly. Uh, both experts said it hinted at an underlying response to past trauma that raised very legitimate questions about Rankin's fitness to perform the job of a police officer. What do we know about Rankin's life experiences and his, you know, just sort of where he comes from as a person? Sure. I mean, we've pieced this together because Rankin's legal team has not participated in our coverage of this case, not returned phone calls, not wanted to do interviews, and that's often a strategy that defense lawyers choose. But public records and court appearances have shed some light on who he is. You may proceed, counsel. Thank you, Your Honor. We're here on State of Washington versus Timothy Eugene Rankin. We're here for an arraignment. Mr. Rankin is present on video from uh, the jail, as well as his counsel, Mr. Brian Hirschman. I defy this bench to find, or the state, to find anybody who will say anything about this gentleman other than the fact that he's not just human, he's superhuman. For instance, he was just 13 when he told his parents that because of the terrorist attacks of 9-11, he aspired to join the military. We have some tape of Rankin's prior attorney at his arraignment in 2021 talking about some of these things. He told his parents he wanted to enlist in the United States Army to defend this nation at 13 years of age. And then in high school, he lost a thumb in a weightlifting accident. A dumbbell was in the process of falling on a football coach. 
he put his hand in the way to avoid serious injury to the coach, cut his thumb off. And he needed sort of a special dispensation to join the army because of that disability. He was deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq, where he saw soldiers he knew well killed right before his eyes, and where Rankin himself suffered combat injuries that earned him the Purple Heart. It was his family who had to tell me that his military vehicle was blown up by an IED. Uh, he compressed his spine. He reportedly gave that medal away to the family of a dead comrade. A fallen veteran, a comrade in arms that he lost in a battle uh, overseas defending this country. So there's this other document you found in these files, and it's, it's like a worksheet where Rankin is asked to assess his own performance at the academy. He writes down things that he feels he's good at. He writes down things he feels he's bad at. What do we learn about Rankin from his own assessments of how he's doing at the academy? Well, we definitely learned some more about uh, his personal challenges from this document. He has a history of brain injury and struggles with short-term memory loss. That was new information to me anyway. And throughout this sort of self-appraisal, he lingers on the fact that he's seen atrocities and expects his police work to be full of them. I'm going to quote from his own writing here. I'm not the easiest guy to get along with because I come off as being too honest and real. I feel like some of my classmates don't like that because they don't want to think of violence or bad people. So the bad guy trope is a really persistent theme throughout Rankin's personal reflection. Here's another quote from it. There's no need to be out of shape and give the bad guy more of a advantage. That was another reference to sort of this parallel between combat and police work. All this paints a picture of someone who's really experienced some traumatic events and expects that police work will provide more of the same, so he feels more prepared for these perceived realities than everyone around him. This is ironic because it's these same traumatic combat experiences in the military that have caused the two experts we interviewed to question Rankin's fitness to be a police officer, and he sort of clings to them as the primary strengths he brings to the job. Rankin graduated from the academy, and the Tacoma Police Department hired him. That brings us back to the night of March 3rd, 2020. Fifteen months after shooting that virtual suspect in the training exercise, Rankin was in his patrol vehicle, rushing to the corner of 96th and Ainsworth, and, according to what he told investigators, thinking about the friends he lost overseas, worried that his fellow police officers were already dead or dying. So when Rankin arrived, Ellis was handcuffed and prone, and in short order was then hogtied and had a spit hood placed over his head. And even after all that, Rankin sat on top of him with all his weight. Rankin was sitting on Ellis's back when he heard him say more than once, I can't breathe. It was the first time I actually heard this subject even speak, and the first thing he said to me was, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. But he said it in a very, not in a distressed voice, in almost a very calm, normal voice. I remember telling the individual, I was like, if you're talking to me, you can breathe just fine. Rankin didn't believe him, and he even argued with medics initially when they ordered him to get off of Ellis so they could treat him. Within minutes of that exchange, Ellis was dead, and Rankin is now charged with first-degree manslaughter. Why does this matter? Why does this training incident matter in the context of the story we've been telling? In a vacuum, which is how the police academy and the Tacoma Police Department sort of viewed this incident, 
It was noteworthy, but not a barrier to employment as a police officer. But viewing it more holistically, the way Rankin told investigators his military trauma informed his actions on the night that Ellis died, the training incident was highly relevant in the eyes of these experts that I spoke with. It demonstrated that Rankin could fall under the influence of a filter that divorces what he's seeing and hearing from reality. That's what they told me. And this can lead to overreaction, such as treating a civilian in a city you're supposed to protect like an enemy combatant. The experts I spoke with have seen a lot of this. There are a fair amount of people who come back with such traumatic lived experiences that they need more than just a pat on the back before you send them out to be a police officer. The expert that I spoke with from the University at Buffalo said that really mental health hygiene is an area where more police departments are becoming enlightened about the level of screening that they should give, especially to officers who have either been in military combat or are transferring after long police careers. Because these are things that just inherently are going to expose you to some really nasty stuff. Stuff that can really color your mental outlook on the world, can color your perceptions on reality, like they believe happened with Rankin here. But in addition to that, uh, it's becoming increasingly clear, this expert told me, that the best practices are also to keep up this mental health hygiene routinely for police officers because from one year to the next, they accumulate more traumatic experiences just based on the nature of the job. And uh, so making sure that police officers are mentally well and that they have clear-headed judgment when they encounter someone, whether it's either a threat or in distress, you know, is, is something that police departments could do a better job of, and some are. You know, just listening to you talk about this, it, it makes me think about how this case we've been reporting on, Manny Ellis's killing by Tacoma police, it really is about arguably much more than the split-second decisions by a few police officers over the course of several minutes on one night. It gets at the culture of policing, hiring practices by police, the experiences police bring to the job, who we enlist to patrol our communities. It also makes me wonder, too, what is the relationship between the organizations that train police and the organizations that hire police. Are we checking boxes as we pass these people through the academy? Or are we taking every opportunity to look for what might be a red flag that could at the bare minimum be either corrected, and if not correctable, that could be a barrier to ever giving someone a badge and a gun? Getting back to the main thing you found, this account of a training incident where Rankin shoots a character on a screen. When you brought that to light, what happened? Did, did you get any response to, to that finding? There was a, a pretty surprising and potent response from the Washington State Criminal Justice Commission at its most recent quarterly meeting in December 2022. Uh, the commission directed its staff to draft new language, emphasizing its authority to remove recruits from the academy when they exhibit signs of psychological impairment that would interfere with their succeeding as police officers. Uh, there was a lot of concern from commission members who believe Rankin would be a quintessential candidate uh, just for that kind of removal. So the commission that certifies police officers in Washington state is on track to more aggressively remove recruits who show these worrisome traits than they were before we told the Rankin story. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Thank you, Will. 
Rankin's attorneys did not comment on this training incident. Rankin has pleaded not guilty to manslaughter, and his co-defendants, Burbank and Collins, have pleaded not guilty to murder and manslaughter. Their trial is scheduled to start in September of 2023. As we wait for that, we'll keep reporting and updating you here. So stay subscribed. The Walk Home is a collaboration between KNKX Public Radio and the Seattle Times. Thank you for listening.